Welcome to another Pine with Shawnee P, coming to you from my home city of Dublin. We're in one of the great Irish bars called the Long Stone, and it is a typically winter setting in type of Friday in Dublin. My guest is having a pint of Guinness. I'm off the booze for Stoptober, which will make up for booze and Sigvember. Thank you all again for all your shares, likes and support. We've recently seen a 100% increase in listeners. Things seem to be moving in the right direction and I thank you all for sharing it and pushing it out for me. Really interesting guest today, a guy who's just arrived in Dublin this morning. Uh, he looked me up. I don't know an awful lot about him. We've never met, but we have a lot in common. He once said that his job was flying around the world talking to people, and that's exactly what I do. He also has a background in advertising. He is the partner of the Palmerston Group, which is a boutique research firm uh, in Ontario, in uh, Toronto, in Canada. And he uh, has a title of an ethnographer. We're going to find out what the difference between an ethnographer and a researcher is, I hope, today. But I'm welcoming to the podcast, Daniel Burkhall. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Welcome to Ireland. Thank you very much. First impressions? First impressions are it's a fantastic pint of Guinness. <laughs> um, is that your first pint of Guinness? It's my second pint. Very good. I've been here for a couple hours now, so. It is only two o'clock in the afternoon, folks. You'll get on great. Daniel, you're an ethnographer. Tell people what an ethnographer is and why it's different from a researcher. Well, it's interesting, Sean. I mean, the the titles we give ourselves, the titles yeah. that are given to us, especially in a place like America where titles are so important yeah. in the advertising business. Ethnographer makes the most sense for what I do. Mm. I tell my friends I travel the world and talk to strangers. Yeah. And that's exactly what I do. And I go into the world. So I am I an ethnographer? <laughs> I think anyone who talks to people with a curious outlook and an analytical mindset and is able to make sense of it afterwards has a degree of that to it. Clients hire us often to go into the world and talk to their consumers face to face, you know, in their homes and their cars. And, yeah. But it can get pretty off that as well. So is ethnography defined more as the opposite to research where people are in a more clinical environment? The research business in general is a pretty junk business. It, it's a lot of hospital-like focus group rooms, and I do do that occasionally. But more often than not, we like going into the real world. We use wireless microphones and yeah. hidden cameras, and yeah. uh, we, we try to do some thing we call stunt ethnography also. Right, what's that? Kind of make little stunts that would be really fun for us to do, yeah. for our team to do, with the intention of making the entire product better for the client. So we'll go to pool parties in Las Vegas to understand the, the real vibe of a certain audience at that party. Yeah. One of the problems I had, and we both, both myself and Diane have a background in the advertising strategy business, which uses research as a raw material. I worked on Procter & Gamble for 10 or 12 years. I spent my whole time desperately trying to get them to stop using link tests and failed. Uh, those of you in the business will know what that means. But um, what, what stunned me about P&G was the, the amount of money that they put in, in good faith, in things like this, in things like going out into the homes, into the marketplaces. I was in China, for example, for a year or two with them. And you know, I, I went to see places that blew my mind away and I meant to talk to consumers, as they call them, who blew my mind away. But they never really acted on the insights, such as all of your ads are shit, such as 
you know, I don't believe your advertising, such as your products are too expensive. So that the really core things that people were saying to P&G, they just ignored it. Well, in a business like that, you have so much politics along the route yeah. that you're going to have a difficult time taking any kind of findings and making yeah. them actionable. The ethnography that companies buy isn't really true academic research. A lot of it's theater, right? Yeah. A lot of it's getting the clients out of their cubicles, out of their offices, into the world where they can see people doing what they do, making them buy in along the way. Then the, the sell at the end yeah. of what the actual message is, isn't yeah. as difficult to get across. Some, I, I, we, we don't work with PNG ourselves, yeah. so I can't speak yeah, sorry, to Sorry, PNG, but, for using you as a scapegoat, yeah. but it's not just PNG, it's of course but, loads of the big corporations do this. Yeah, I think large, large, large organizations yeah. will often pay for, I, I have an example in my head of an yeah. automotive company we worked with. We told them a very clear finding and they just completely ignored it yeah. and went the entire opposite way. <laughs> and that it's, was... It's, it is funny. I mean, being outside the business for a while, it's kind of hilarious because it's really just a crutch oh, yeah. in many cases. Like, I'm a senior marketing person. I'm going to make a decision. I have it backed up with research that says I'm right. And if it goes wrong, well, I did the due diligence of research. I, I, I tell my students all the time, research is not science. Research is as much theater and as much art yeah. and, and as much going through the motions um, as it is any kind of science. Yeah. Um, I don't have the answers to the world. Sure. Um, I, I don't pretend to have the answers to the world. I, I have a pretty good sense on how to figure things out and how to show you certain elements of what's going on in the consumer environment. Yeah. But whatever you do with it at the end, it's your money. So you're from, you were saying you were born in Canada and then you moved to, what was your, what was your origins? Oh man, I, I was born in Canada. I was born in a place called Winnipeg. And I went back there recently for a project. My opinion changed because the city didn't. It's been very uh, static, but it's the coldest place in the world. Wow. And so I think that's probably where I got my way of looking at people. When I was a five-year-old child looking out the window of the Hudson Bay Company on Deported Street and, and watching the world freeze and people kind of snake by this intersection yeah I, I always found it very interesting to watch people so and, so we, we, but back in winnipeg yeah. were you were your only child were you, what was your family background what were you i have two sisters two right. lovely sisters yeah. i have uh loving parents my dad is a physician and he decided to move to arizona okay. and bring our whole family down there so we went from well, the coldest cold place in the world yeah. to the hottest place in the world where were you in tucson so, or in phoenix phoenix uh, right. and so i was there for a while and then eventually we moved up to Canada, back back to Canada. But over the years, I've lived in in Austin, in Detroit, in Chicago, in, in Los Angeles. So you were constantly changing Montreal. schools when you were a kid and meet, having yeah. to meet new, make new friends. So that's that would be something that probably stood to you later. Totally, John. Yeah. Like I was always the new kid, from from beginning of school until the eighth grade. And so you always you learn these coping mechanisms of how to meet people. I, I became really good at, at becoming very quick very quickly close with people. Right. I, I'm the kind of person that can talk to someone, build at least somewhat of a connection. I'd be a perfect cab driver if I knew how to drive well. <laughs> There's two things about me that make right. me who I am. Mm. One is that I have this experience of being the new kid all the time. The second is I have the attention span of a small animal. So what I learned in advertising is that working on one client for a couple years at a time got me very bored very fast. Yeah. Nowadays, we, we work on clients they change the thing about it is as well because we did the same thing in strategy you, you you get a problem you analyze it you 
people are paying you for your point of view on what they should do. When you arrive at your solution, I found that it, you know, usually it felt clear and right to me, yeah. not necessarily to everybody else. But it's very hard when you go through that journey and you come to this is what this brand I feel should do and it gets rejected and you have to go back to the drawing board and come up with something else because you kind of go, you'll always go, fuck, I had the answer and they just didn't want it. So I think that's why the, it's a, whenever I was involved in running planning departments or agencies, I always try to change the strategists out if they were getting shut down yeah, and put them on to something else because you can get really jaded. I, I have to tell you, I, I don't, looking back, I wasn't a good planner. It wasn't a what good, do you define as a good strategy planner? I think a good strategy planner is able to deal with that emotional kind of uh, roller coaster of rejection. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's that. On the flip side, I'm, I'm a, as far as I can tell, a spectacular <laughs> ethnographer or, or whatever you want to call what yeah, I do. Yeah. A human chameleon. Uh, yeah. I've, I've managed a way to monetize my detriments. Take yeah. the things I'm bad at, paying attention. Right. And, and if being, I can monetize this fucking podcast. Podcasting isn't a moneymaker, but it's a. Uh, it, it fills the soul for me. I, I think it also, I mean, this podcast I've listened to before and I, as you mentioned before, I reached out to you. I, I think it's great. I think that finding your people and talking to them yeah. in a way that is asynchronous, but also has a real human connection. And we've never met before today. No, no. But what, what I'm actually really enjoying about this is, and you can't tell on the audio, but you're, you're looking at me. We're having a real right. conversation. Yeah. That must be very interesting from your point of view as well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've uh, it was actually, I worked for a research company for five months or so, Brain Juicer in uh, yeah. London. And this was an idea I had for them. I, I, I worked with John Kieran, I don't know whether you know him, but you know, a guy who comes packing authenticity and integrity and all those good things, but uh, found a bit wanting, I, I felt, uh, in, in my experience with him, which is a shame because I really love the guy. And yeah. But he's, he, to be fair to him, he's a, he's a classic guy who's a, an entrepreneur who, if you have a difference of opinion on where the business needs to go, he just doesn't want to hear it and he cuts you, cu cuts you out. But the podcasting thing came from an idea that I had with them. I started doing a few episodes for them and then, I don't know, John came home drunk one night and wrote to me, wrote me this mental letter, which I just went, oh, fuck, no, I'll leave. But I've kept it going and it gives yeah. me this kind of, it fills a purpose hole. I'm really in interested in this idea of what we do. Do we get up at nine to five and go to work for the man? Who said that's the right thing? Do you have to do that? And this is a, is a thing I have to put out every 10 days. And I, you know, I, I enjoy that part of but it. But that's, that's a good metronome to have. It is, yeah, um, yeah. It keeps you on like, having some rigidity to that schedule Yeah, makes you, it almost forces you to be yeah. uh, productive. I, I know myself, if I don't give myself some kind of timeline, I love when clients give us deadlines. It's like a challenge. Yeah. It's like a video game. Yeah, and also the curiosity I think that we probably both have, this sort of idea of just meeting a stranger. I mean, I met these people like, a bit like you today, yeah. within half an hour I'm a friend of theirs and I get to hear some of their most intimate kind of thoughts on life. And It's almost a privilege to be able to, to, to meet these people and also put their stories out because I don't want everyone saying, oh, why don't you get this guy? He's really famous, he's great. I don't want to, we, we've all heard the famous people. There's this layer of people who have wisdom, who've got insight, who've got life experience that we don't hear from because they're not a Kardashian or a, or a famous businessman in Ireland or in England or whatever, you know? So the, I'm trying to get that layer of voice out there. And it, you know, maybe segues into what I really wanted to talk to you about, which is the, the fact that you go around the world and the fact that you spend most of your life talking to people a bit like this. I wanted to sort of tap into some of the 
things that you've learned, particularly over the last year. You know, we have the Trump issue, we have nuclear war raising its head again, we have climate change that never will go away until we do something about it, if we can do something about it. You know, we have AI on the horizon, we have, you know, a, a lack of compassion, we have inequality. Give me your stump speech on what you've learned just over the last year and, and, and where you think the world might be going. So, I, I'm not a futurist. It's not my place to predict what's going to happen in the world. Yeah. Um, the world's going to be awesome now. It's right. going to be awesome. Um, it always has been awesome and it always will be awesome. Yeah. There have been terrible things that have happened in relatively recent memory in extremely recent memory and also in the last hundred years. Yeah, we're having this interview just a few days after the uh, violent attacks in Las Vegas uh, by that lone wolf gunman. Bad things happen. That's not to diminish them or to make them any less terrible. But the world goes on. Regardless of what your feelings are about the American political system, my, my feelings are pretty firm and pretty much in line with almost all of my friends and colleagues and probably almost all of your friends and colleagues. So you're a Trump fan. It's huge, joke. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I actually, I left my Make, Make America Great Again hat in the hotel room. Um, it was interesting to me because I, I always thought that way. I always thought every, everyone's pretty lefty and everyone's pretty even-minded and so on. And then I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, five days before the election. It shocked me how many Trump signs I saw. And I was talking to a room of about 100 people. In that crowd, I was warned beforehand, don't say anything anti-Trump, people are pretty pretty big on them here. And that shocked me. People around my age, yeah. all in marketing and advertising. Yeah. And it just goes to show you how much we miss of the world by not touching all the points. Middle America is a different animal than the, than the world I know. It's essential to listen to viewpoints that are not your own. Yes. And it's essential to listen to viewpoints that are not your own, that are very either counter to what you believe, yeah. and then to try to figure out what they are, what makes those arguments work. So one thing I do all the time, especially when I'm renting cars in Oklahoma, or like, yeah. I'll, I'll listen to the extremely right-wing kind of talk radio. Talk radio. Yeah. I, I don't follow those viewpoints myself, but I love listening to them. I like going to magazine racks and picking up magazines that are not aimed for my audience. Sure. So you can't see this on, on audio, but I'm a Jewish kid from Canada. So I'll read like African-American hair magazines yeah. or I'll read... Uh, I've well, you've got African-American kind of hair. That's great. You can't see this on I, audio I would, either. I would say too. <laughs> um, but the, I also, I have no tattoos. I love tattoo conventions and, yeah, cult and yeah. culture. Yeah. So I want to understand what that is. I mean, it's interesting, you know, when I've come, I've come back to Dublin after 21 years away, and, and my friends ask me, like, what have I noticed? And really the disappointing thing I've noticed is that the top five things are four things that were a problem in 1996 when I left, are the same fucking five things that are a problem. And I've hardly moved anywhere. But you have a great new tram line, that's... We have, yeah, we're putting in a new tram line, of course, to replace the ones that we removed in 1920 when we thought we don't need tram lines anymore, similar with the rail network. But we have growing inequality after our big boom and bust, still a major problem. Homelessness. 200 people are on the streets rough tonight in Dublin. We can't find them a fucking home. There's 200 people in this pub right now, probably. There, there is a huge wider homeless yeah. issue of families to about eight, ten thousand. 10,000. We can't find homes. I mean, yeah, we can build hotels. All this stuff, hospitals, overburdened, waiting lists, blah, blah, blah. And just all of these issues, you can't seem to come in. Like, I lived in Singapore for two years, which is like benign fascism. 
But benign is the key word there. Fascist, people don't set up isms to go, let's see if we can really fuck the world up. They're trying to come up with something that will work. And, and the Singapore thing has its flaws, has its faults, has its gerrymandering, same party in right. power for so many years. But you know what? It works. But do you think those people than... are trying to destroy the world? Of course No, not. I don't. I don't. And, and do you think the people in America, let's say, are trying to destroy the world? I think, that I think there's they're a, trying to build their own world. I was just going to go there. I think we've got so insular that really this idea that I'm only here for another 20 or 30 summers, it's not my fucking problem. I mean, what, give me this pulse that you, you feel because you're, you're, you're on it. You, you may not be able to yeah, view that, the future, but what are the... Where's your, I, your take on it? I think that people are comically amused, a little bit upset, and a little bit kind of kicking themselves for not... Um, having things turn out a different way. But I think Half also, yeah, the larger scale issues of potential nuclear war, I don't think that's on people's heads. No. I, I don't think that's considered. That would a, just happen someday. And we'd go, oh. Well, I always think about Terminator 2 Judgment Day, <laughs> which is apparently a documentary now. And then that movie, Linda Hamilton holds onto the fence, the nuclear weapons hit LA, all the children melt on the swings. Yeah. That's kind of what could happen. Um, I, I was in uh, Hiroshima a couple months ago for, for some work stuff. We did this thing, some of my team members and I, we walked across the blast area. Wow. What does it look like now? Hiroshima's gorgeous. Now what's the, how, how is the blast area signified? It's not. It's not, um, okay. We, we use Google Maps to like, okay. um, figure out where you can find the information, yeah. and we just walked it, and it's all be- it's all rebuilt beautifully. What was interesting there though is it took us forty five minutes to walk across the the zone of complete kill, wow. and that was a bomb that was one thousand the size of the bombs nowadays. Yeah. They should force everyone to do it. Yeah. It's so catastrophically horrible that you would never even consider it if you had that power. I somehow think the people who do have that power, I don't think they're going to step over to use it. The overarching characters in the game, like the Trumps, the Kim Jong-uns, yeah. they... Put yourself in those situations, what would you do? Crazy. Well, I kind, of, I kind of know what I wouldn't do, which is be provocative. There's a very good uh, series, I don't know whether you picked it up, Oliver Stone's conversations with Vladimir Putin. We have deliberately, in my view, been told to create a evil monster that is out to get us all. And this is like a three-hour, three-part documentary where Putin answers every question. Yeah, he's a bit sketchy on things like homosexuality and stuff like that, whatever. But the thing that struck me most about him was he is sitting there slightly baffled going, you know, as far as we're concerned, the Cold War ended in in 1989, 1990, and we don't really have an agenda other than let's see if we can better Russia. You got the Ukraine situation, but he, he tackled every question up front. Trump coming out with this bluster and, and bloviation and all this kind of stuff, I'm kind of going, for fuck's sake, shut the fuck up and act like a president. I, I agree with that that mindset. There must be some things about Trump that people like, and there must be reasons why. Yeah. That's the part that really intrigues me. And there are some good things about the guy. I would love to sit in a room full of Trump supporters yeah. and find out, what do you love about it? Yeah. And what you hear back a lot of the time is things like, well, he says what he means. He doesn't pull punches. He, he doesn't... The uh, art of the deal. Uh, yeah. yeah. There are ways of spinning all of that. I don't think anyone is all good or all bad, including me, including you. Yeah, sure. Well, we have, you know, one of the other podcasts I'd recommend to anyone who's just joining the podcast, Waves, Waking Up by Sam Harris. And Sam Harris spends an awful lot... Of, I mean, he's he, he's been on the warpath against Trump, you know, since he became the nominee but and before but 
he does say, can someone please come forward who's an intellectual and give me the bit I'm missing about this guy? And uh, I think Scott Adams, I'm not sure what, whether it's Scott Adams, the guy who created the Dilbert cartoon, came on his show. And Scott Adams kind of played him. He played him a bit like Trump. But there's just a fundamental lack of integrity and honesty and presidentialness, if that's such a word, missing. And you can spin it further. I mean, there's no question. The guy's a colossal dickhead. He's a complete and utter caricature of everything narcissism yeah. and everything lack of knowledge, grandiosity yeah. in the world. But there must be good things also there. If you do have a stance against everything he says, you're probably not, not dead on. Like it or not, the guy's going to be a character in our life for a little bit of time. I think it's our job to understand, not to... Yeah, I, I watch the news and my, my wife sees it every single night. I, I, I yell at the TV screen. Yeah. When he was whipping paper towels into the crowd. Yeah, I know. Like, what the fuck? What, what, what's going on? Who's but, wrangling him? I mean, the contrast is your own guy, Trudeau, who, who I think is almost the reverse because he if you turn over his log, it's not squeaky clean, but he's... The way he's kind of galvanized the youth of Canada and the people that are following an easy act, I guess, but... Fall, following an easy act, yeah. He, I mean, everything swings left to right, right? So, yeah. And Canada, in the next election, the three leaders of the parties now in Canada are all... Trudeau's the oldest by a fair bit. There's one guy who's 38 and another guy who just got elected also, 38. The gentleman who was elected to the NDP, one of the opposition parties, as, as the new leader, might be the best looking human I've ever seen. And so they did a smart thing. They decided, hey, Trudeau's a really good looking human. Let's select someone who's better looking than him and let's run him against him. Like, but he's, he, Trudeau has developed, I don't know whether he picked this up over there, a great bromance with our yeah. new prime ministers are called Tishik here. Yeah. Tishuk. Uh, we've never had a Tishuk in their 30s. Uh, sorry, we've never had a Tishuk, I don't think, in, our, in their 40s. And now we have one in their 30s, and he's homosexual, Fantastic. and he's an immigrant. And it's like, what? And like Ireland occasionally astonishes with stuff like this. Yeah. We have a huge number of our people who will rebel against the church and the, and the state in the way it was, and anything they can do to kind of go. So we have this guy, again, he's a bit right wing, but he is a listener, and I think he might do something. He feels like he might do something, actually. But the two of them are great yeah. pals. His name's Leo Varadkar. For him to be in power now, augurs so well for who replaces him and a similar thing maybe with trump like the person who comes in and replaces trump oh, yeah. will be an interesting hire yeah uh, everything always oscillates back and forth but this is a pretty yeah i mean violent oscillation. And, and what's happened in canada has been a very big oscillation from what we had a conservative government for 10 years it was a bunch of old white guys and suits and now it's young white guys and suits yeah it's funny, Ireland, my image of Ireland is based on very few things, right. but one of them is I see Ireland as being a tech center. Sure, I see yeah. it as being a really youthful yeah. global powerhouse. In the tech well, the center. reason we're a tech center is we hitched up our skirt and asked tech companies to fuck us. We, for taxes? Or, for tax yeah. purposes. I mean, we have, a, we have a 12% corporation tax here, which is, have, has been found to be in breach of EU rules. We went from an agricultural economy trying to become an industrial economy to compete with the north of England hey, that didn't work, to, okay, we've got to be smart. We have a very smart, young, cheap, relatively workforce. And yeah, there's a lot of things that have huge merit here, but the, the key problem in Britain, in France, and in capitalism is that there is this shrinking middle class downwards. I'm a very lucky guy. I've got privilege. I've got, been very thankful to have a great education and have 
nice suburban house to grow up in but the difference between that jump to the next le lower rung on the ladder and lower still huge numbers of yeah. people i mean I, I did a piece of ethnography in in america for in texas which you know we we, we found like one in three Americans are either below the poverty line or one or two missed paychecks away from that. One in three is a hundred million people. Yeah, and pay, pay, the payday loan industry yeah. keeps America afloat, which is horrific. Yeah. Do you see a, a time where something really will get done to close this gap or fix things? Or? No, I, I see the gap probably even growing. Yeah. Uh, you would think the internet would have done that, right? You would think yeah. that one of these kind of global forces that, of mass communication and but there's such distortions in the message to get a, that gets sent across it hasn't worked out that way also there's um availability and access of that even they're the have and have nots in the digital age yeah i'd like to say the world's gonna become this idealistic lovely snow globe i don't think it is there's a game i always play when i meet someone from a a country where i don't live and the game goes as follows and we can play now if you'd like we sure don't have let's to. do it I ask you a couple questions about my country. Okay. You have to answer as honest as you can. Sure. And you ask me questions that could be the same ones or different ones about your country. Am I trying answer. to catch you out? You're trying to. Am I trying to establish if you're a replicant? No, it's it's. So well, it's, it's very 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 timely. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's more to just to learn about how much we don't know about other places. When I say Canada, what are the first five things that come to mind? Uh, first five things would be not America. Um, Big, uh, a good place to live, friendly. I feel Canada is one of the countries that I would look towards to drive a better future for the world. One of about four or five. Okay. Those, those are not bad terms at all. I didn't say maple leaves and beavers and uh, hockey. Hockey, yeah. yeah. I mean, what would your Irish thing be? Five things about Ireland that come to mind. Um, phenomenal music scene. Probably led by by the, by the big names, by the yeah. Sinead's and the U2's yeah. and so on. Um, the commitments. Okay. I don't know why, but the commitments yeah. come to mind. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis comes to mind. Right. So I, I'm leaning very entertainment-centric. Pubs. Yeah. The idea of, of... Guinness and pubs. Yeah, well, yeah pubs. Yeah. I mean, I, I see Guinness as a Diageo product in general. I don't really see it as an Yeah, Irish. increasingly we're starting to find that they're trying to... That was a bit of the brewery. Like, I find the craft breweries much more interesting. Yeah. Like the uh, the Galway hookers and the yeah. uh, those kind of things. Although I do have a uh, I do have a slightly cynical approach to craft brewers on the basis that at one point Mr. Heineken was a craft brewer. Yeah. And then he his brew is it's so just, good. His craft brew is so good. Yeah, it's yeah. just everywhere, you know. So the the Irish thing is, you know, we have a very good reputation. Yes, in music, but also in literature, and yeah. writing, and yeah, poetry, and, and uh, comedy. What else, like, you know, where, where, where do you stand on, on AI and stuff like that? And uh, Okay, so things like big data, like AI, like all, all the the tech buzz, buzz things of, of the moment, yeah. I have very little knowledge about any of that kind of stuff. Um, but what I do see is I see the usefulness of specific products in people's lives. In the US, everyone's using Amazon Echoes and Alexa and all those. I love the the fact that Star Trek has become real life. Um, do you see those those new Google headphones? The no. they translate in real time. Oh, like a Babel fish. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, very very much of like that. Yeah, accurately. Oh, according to their little. Have you used one? 
No, no one's used one. Oh, they, 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 like, okay. they had a keynote that came oh, out okay. yesterday, I think. And it looks really cool in the keynote. Yeah. But So did the Syriads with some of the objects. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the more mechanized the world gets, the more machine learning becomes a thing. And yeah. I think the more that we need really strong human voices as well. In, in my business, for example, uh, we focus entirely on talking to people. Yeah. We don't even touch quant. We don't touch any of the of the tech things at the moment. Yeah. Someone else can do that better than we can. You know, if you take the AI problem yeah. and the worst doomsday scenario that we all get written out by our own creations. The, the Skynet scenario. Yeah. yeah. And you look at it alongside climate change and you look at it alongside growing inequality and you look alongside global hunger which I think is getting a bit better although getting a bit better means there's less people living on two dollars a day here you've got three dollars a day you're fine yeah. you know all of those things actually have at their core this kind of creep there's no checks and balances this is what Musk is talking about we used to have a time where we played snake on our Nokia and then suddenly we were playing angry birds and now we can play world of warfare or whatever you know that, that sort of creep that goes on where you go oh man remember when we used to have to whatever our phones were green and black and now they're full color or we can now watch television and it's that creep i worry about suddenly something happens we've got no way of stopping it when it does suddenly king jong un does blow up a fucking nuclear bomb. You, you, you should watch more black mirror you should, uh, <laughs> I do. I love Black like, Mirror, but you know, um, Black the, Mirror is a great example that's a of great, that's a great somebody example, going, "Hey guys, no one's checking this shit." You know? uh, the, the world's an awesome game, and unfortunately, we're not in control. We have the ability to take our character and do with our character what we wanted to do, and make choices we feel are right for ourselves. Yeah. But the world's a complex animal. I mean, it seems like those who do have, like the, the Bill Gates, of the world, and so on, I think they are doing good, and right. they, they are trying to make the difference they can make. I'm a person that believes the world is inherently good. That that could be to my detriment when the machines take like us over. You. I'm but like you. I'm I, I think people are pretty chill. Like that thing in Vegas a couple of days ago, that is the exception to the rule. After that happened, people didn't go into armed revolt. Yeah, but you know, it's it's moving that way in my view. I mean, it, the funny thing about that is when you look at America as a Canadian, as a European, you go, like the answer to it is fucking staring you in the face and no one wants to grasp the nettle and right and actually that that second amendment gun control nra issue is at the core of a huge amount of the racism a huge amount of the african-american plight a huge amount of so many things the insularity all yeah. that kind of stuff but it's also it's the frontier mindset and that plays america is not a perfect thing but well, it, australia it's a, had a, a frontier mindset too and, and you know, they, they, they did they, something about it they had the amnesty this last yeah, week yeah, yeah. America's a really interesting place. I may not agree with the stuff that goes on there. Yeah. I'm not going to buy an arsenal. But I've, I've actually interviewed people in their houses who have shown me their arsenals. Yeah. And there's this oh, guy in, in Smyrna, Tennessee. We, we did this interview once. The guy was in a trailer park. He's like, want to see my basement? He took us to this dugout part under his trailer. And he had literally an arsenal right. of machine guns and yeah. like... You know, there's a guy I worked with who had one over dinner one night. He said, he was talking about Sandy Hook and going, those, that the shooter could have done more, da just as much damage with a baseball bat. I'm going, like, what? Like, could the guy in Vegas have done more damage with a baseball bat? He might have broken his window open and thrown it at somebody and someone might have had their head hurt. But no, but what, what is... The excuses are hilarious. What I found amazing, 
the NRA, who I believe is a, an inherently evil organization, yeah. they came out today and said they wanted to ban yeah, the bump, bump stocks. Bump whatever. stock, yeah. Brilliant yeah. thing to do. They're going out and saying, We're, we, can, we should yeah, stop they, this. We sold 11 of them last year or something. Yeah. Well, and, and they don't make money off that. Yeah, they, yeah, don't, yeah. they don't have any manufacturers of yeah. those machines. But they make money because of probably the bullets that they pump out of the 200 miles. Oh, man. What do you do with that? What's the what's the positive? You're, you say you're a glass half full guy. Let's go back to that. Where I differ with you is when you see a solution, when a solution is really obvious to you, be it in advertising strategy or be it in homelessness or be it in whatever, but it's really obvious and everyone knows it's really obvious. And back to P&G and you're being told it's obvious and nobody does it. And in many cases they do the opposite. What sort of a fucking hope have we got? Because there's lots of problems that aren't obvious that really also need solving. But if we have the obvious problems and we can't solve them or won't or are afraid to or are politically, I don't know. I, I think that you're, you're looking at situations with a certain kind of expectation things will get done, but you're ignoring other situations like hyperloops and like, yeah, I know, I know. like there's so much good stuff going on in the world. All, all I can talk about is the people I talk to. I think people are pretty good. Uh, there's yeah. very few people who I think are completely bad. I guess I'm worried about more uh, apathy and nihilism. You know, they're too, it's they very decide. easy to be apathetic about, or to turn situations off you don't like. Um, it's like turning the channel back in the age of TV. Yeah. You can turn the channel very easily. You can filter your news feed. You can take off your Twitter feed. Um, you can block people. The danger of that obviously is in just massive distortions happening. Let's just flip it right away from first world technology, all that shit, and go to some of your, tell us one of the stories about your Himalayas, some of those projects you've worked yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate to go to, a, to experience a lot of worlds that very few people have a chance to experience in a very short time span also. Yeah. We did a project in the mountains of North uh, East India we talked to people who had never seen pretty much foreigners ever, um, way off the dirt roads, literally mountain mountain tribes. You just get the sense that everyone's very similar. I love how smiles are a similarity across yeah, yeah. cultures. All people that I've talked to, and I haven't talked to everyone in the world, but all people I've talked to act in situations very, very similarly yeah. and laugh at the same kind of pieces and yeah. at the same self-deprecating humor. People want overall very similar things. I want health and happiness. That's kind of it. Like, I, yeah. I don't think it's much more than that. The last line you can leave on or put off is for themselves and others. Yeah. Health and happiness for yourself, that's a constant, I think. Yeah. But, and others. Open that's brackets the, and others. Open brackets, sometimes, close bracket, close bracket. Yeah, but it is, <laughs> it is sometimes. Like, I, I'd like to think of myself as an open-minded individual who likes people. Yeah. But there are people I just don't like. Yeah. I can think of some directly, like who I just do not like. Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone I'm sure can. But the, one of the other things that I'm noticing is, and I'm trying to get my head around this because I don't know, I'm, I don't know whether I can do anything about it, but there's this path that we're on, let's call it the middle class path. Yeah. And when you get established on that path to a acceptable level for you, accoutrements of lifestyle that you need, whether you need a, a pool or you need a, sure. a house in a country or a cottage or whatever. When you get there and you've achieved it, you hold on to it and any discussion that in any way talks about the people are from where you've come that are down the ladder, you will 
make and have already inbuilt excuses as to why those people can't be looked after. And it's amazing. I hear it from my father, who's very educated, and my mother, and I hear it from, I, I probably hear it in my own voice. Sure. The best example of it is you walk past it, you know, someone banging the street, they're only going to use the money you give them for drugs and alcohol. To which I go, so what? Yeah, well, look, look, look at us here in the pub. I, I use the money that someone gave me at some point in time for something yeah. to buy a beer. Yeah. Like, but we defend the right. It's almost like we all secretly do want to join the 1%. And we're going to protect that avenue as much as we can. Like this, there's a whole thing. I'm sure it's the same in Canada or everywhere. Yeah. You've got to leave a legacy. You've got to make sure that the people behind you get, uh, you know, a bump up ahead and the family get, you know, really? Yeah, so, so I mean, we, I haven't had that stage in my life yet. We don't have kids yet, so we, we don't right. have that that whole build a legacy thing. Yeah. In my head, though, like, I want to have status quo forever. I don't want to have um, legacy, per se. Yeah. I want to always be able to say I'm not worried about things. Like, there are times I live a pretty fancy lifestyle. And there are times when I... There's a, there's a radical thinker, I, I, I can't remember his name now, you might have, have him, but who says we should be giving everything we earn, bar what it takes for us to survive and bed sure. and putting it into sort of Africa. And I, I, he's a philosophical kind of guy, but he actually is practicing it himself. I couldn't do that. I'd be going, no, wait, 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 wait. I, I don't want to run out of money and become, you know, on the breadline because I've been too generous. I will hopefully leave as much money as I can to charity when I die. And this is why we don't live in a kibbutz and why we don't live yeah, on yeah, like, yeah. I mean. But they're working on things like universal wage in, in some towns around yeah, the world. Sure. When the AIs take over, when all the jobs are gone, how the fuck are we gonna, will we pay for things? Will things just magic out of the way? Will we still have a working class? Will we still have poor people? Well, is that, or the, are they the all world, constants? The world of Star Trek, I think, solves all that, right? Right. Yeah. Where, where they make replicators that yeah. uh, totally, once you solve the food problem, everything else is pretty okay. That, 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 shelter, yeah. But shelter, I, th I think, isn't as difficult as food. Food you need several yeah. times a day. Shelter, once you got it, you're good. If the replicators exist, they can 3D print food, every problem solved. Before we finish up, what, what yeah. sort of three things would you pass back to your younger self that you've, or one thing that you've learned on your life course so far? I wish I knew that failure was part of the game. There's no one I know who's been successful, no one, who hasn't failed, not only once, but multiple times in significant ways. I think that's something that I did not realize at first, and I wish I knew that. The secret to life is the ability to deal with any contingency that may happen, and failure that helps you. Yeah, yeah. It's the ability to figure out what's going on yeah. and make a good decision out of it. So, number one is, is the ability to do a failure. Number two, I think for me, is travel everywhere you can as much as you can, and always leave your eyes open. And never stop being curious. Never stop being curious. Even if you think you know something or know a place, walk down the street that you live on. Walk by all the stores and try to re recollect them all in your mind. You'll make a mistake. People make mistakes about everything. And so just always have your eyes open and your mind open to everything. That's number two. That's number three. I don't know. Uh, number three. Number three is to be found. Find something. But it's been. Fill number three. Yeah, it, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. You too, and I will. Maybe come back when you have number three, and we'll have another pint when you come back again. Tomorrow. Absolutely. Great to talk to you, Daniel Burkle, and enjoy your trip to Ireland. Thank you, sir. Cheers.